The United States Congress is due to be briefed by members of the military and the government, you might call them the deep state, by the end of June on everything that they know about the UFO phenomenon. In the lead up to that, we've been doing a series of uh, semi-connected episodes of Conspiracy Clearinghouse about UFOs. But it's worth remembering that it is not exclusively an American phenomenon. Here in the Czech Republic, where I live, there have also been numerous sightings and encounters with weirdness and UFOs and strange lights in the sky. So to talk about that with me today is Sam Beckwith, editor of Prague Pig, a Czech news and culture blog. Hello, Sam. Hi, Derek. How are you? Pretty good. Pretty good. Excellent. I'd like to thank Sam for talking to me today, and I'd like to thank all of you for listening to this episode of Conspiracy Clearinghouse. You leave the world behind and enter a large chamber, filled with boxes and crates as far as the eye can see. Welcome to The Conspiracy Clearinghouse. The podcast that takes a rather skeptical look at conspiracies and mysteries. Each episode will examine various conspiracy theories, most of which are not true, a few of which might be a little bit true, and even a couple that turned out, in fact, to be true. There are many boxes in the clearinghouse, and along the way, we'll look at some mysteries and hoaxes as well. We dare to look behind the curtain that's behind the curtain. I'm your host, Derek DeWitt. Welcome to the Conspiracy Clearinghouse. Okay, Sam, so you you studied social anthropology at university, right? Uh, that's right, actually at the University of London School of Oriental and African Studies. I think at the time I had visions of being uh, Indiana Jones, but somehow I ended up living in Prague. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, boy, but I don't know how old you were when that movie came out, but when I saw it, I was like, that's totally what I'm going to do. I'm going to be an, an archaeologist. Da, da, da. And then I realized you have to spend a good deal of your time in extremely hot climates. And I went, oh, no, I, I, don't, I don't do well in the heat. And so... <laughs> I have pretty similar experience myself. So, but you're so you're studying social anthropology, but you did a dissertation on UFOs. Yeah, it was something I was interested in. It seemed to fit in well with postmodern theory, which was very fashionable at the time that I was I was at university, and I did it on ufology and belief systems, basically looking at this idea that uh, the people who, who kind of believe wholeheartedly in that UFOs are aliens uh, are actually just as kind of out in their belief as the people who wholeheartedly believe that the whole thing is is a scam and a hoax and everything can be easily explained by current science. And so mm. it was basically comparing those two and resting on the idea that uh, the truth was probably somewhere in the middle, that there was kind of a gray area between what we know and what can't be explained. Sure, of course. Yeah, that's, that's not such an exciting poster. The truth, some of the truth might be out there. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. It's, it's a hard sell definitely <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right 
Now, I mean, did some of that get into like going back? You know, obviously, there's the in the 1970s, uh, Eric von Daniken and others uh, really pushed this ancient astronauts theory and this idea that you know aliens have been visiting Earth for you know millennia since the very beginnings of human civilization. Maybe they even started it. And um, this idea that a lot of the old myths that we have are in fact sort of cultural memories of UFO visitations and alien visitations. I wasn't actually even aware of Von Denikin at the time. I think I was basically drawing on the kind of classic American UFO sightings. Right. Although actually I, I did go and see Von Denikin uh, much later when I'd moved to the Czech Republic at some travel fair in Carlo Vivari. He was giving a, a talk, I think because he'd launched his, his theme park in Switzerland. It was quite a short-lived kind of mystery theme park that, he, that he'd set <laughs> That's up right. there, which I, I, I very much regret not never get, getting to see. <laughs> that would have been an experience. I know. And you just want him to have it done all designed by H.R. Giger, you know, the guy that that did the alien design. I think that's how it is in my mind, definitely. (laughs) So what were you, what were some of your conclusions when you were looking at the sort of modern UFO? Because, you know, the modern UFO phenomenon, let's call it, really kicks off post-World War II. There are some things before that, but it's post-World War II in the atomic age that it really takes off. What were some of your conclusions or findings or things that you found interesting? I'm not qualified to give any solid answers to the great mystery of UFOs, but I was always convinced by the argument that Richard Nixon couldn't keep Watergate secret until the end of his presidential term, (laughs) and yet you were supposed to believe that this gigantic conspiracy around Roswell had been kept quiet for decades. And to me, that just didn't quite ring true. I just couldn't imagine that, that Nixon wouldn't last out his term and Roswell would be kept secret. It just didn't seem to be uh, plausible. And so I began to, I, I kind of went into studying for the dissertation with quite an open mind. But um, I think by the end of it, I decided that there probably was no grand UFO conspiracy. Certainly that was the way that I, my thoughts were leaning. Sure. Well, I mean, in, in, in a similar vein, I, I've said this about uh, Trump. There's no way that that guy, he wanted to hang out of power so badly that if he had been able to do so by leaking the truth about UFOs, I think he absolutely would have done. I think that was my final disappointment with Trump was that he didn't produce all these secrets on the last day of his presidency. I thought that would have been at least something. (laughs) Well, you know, I've been poking around in this stuff for a while and the stories are multifarious and multifaceted and kind of fantastic. I mean, in many ways, a lot of the people who are rather famous in the UFO world have these astonishing sparks of creativity and you just wish that they had, instead of getting into this, they got into you know screenwriting or something because this the, these stories are they're so comprehensive and they're so detailed and they're so complicated and they're so interesting that I just uh, you can't help but love them from a narrative and a consumer of narrative uh, entertainment uh, perspective you know yeah it should be a Netflix limited series rather than uh, an attempt to, to create the truth yeah exactly yeah and the wonderful thing is there are so many variants on it all that it um, it's it's an endless resource for uh, people who want to weave complicated stories together, you know, because there are just so many variations and so many different things supposedly going on. It does seem to be like a, a modern day fairy tale or modern day mythology it has that kind of role in society now, I think. Yeah, I mean, a lot of uh, a lot of people uh, in the field from the science angle of things uh, very much, you know, they talk about how now it's aliens, but say 200, 300, 400 years ago, it would have been angels 
and and so there's there's some kind of a Jungian collective unconscious archetype that's uh, manifesting in people's brains, and then they're just interpreting it according to the zeitgeist of their times. Yeah, yeah, I, th- I think that's true. So here in the Czech Republic, I think uh, the Zaje project, which is kind of mean, translates as Project Glow, they say that there are about 100 sightings a year in just the Czech Republic. So two times a week, someone in this tiny country sees and reports something strange in the sky, which is kind of amazing. I mean, it's, it's not a very big country. It, this is one of my favorite statistics. It takes a military jet seven minutes to fly over this country east to west. That's that's how small we are, right? So even in a tiny place like this, we're getting two reports a week for years. Vladimir Shishka, who runs the Zaje project, he says somewhere between two to ten percent of the reports are unexplainable. What do you make of that? I think it's a fairly normal percentage. I think there's a, a larger percentage normally of cases that can be explained or come quite close to explanation. And then there is a, a percentage that is much more difficult to get to the truth of and probably somehow extends beyond our current knowledge, whether it's some kind of strange meteorological phenomena mm. or some kind of psychological phenomena that we don't quite understand, possibly combinations of the two. And so I'm not sure if the Czech Republic is unusual in the number of unexplained UFO cases, mm. but it's, it's certainly consistent with, with other European countries. It's, uh, it's got its fair share of strangeness. So I think that probably the most famous Czech, or at the time Czechoslovak, uh, UFO event uh, occurred on July 12, 1987, near the town of Vranjav nad Dyi, which is in the Znojmo district, kind of between there and Dukovani. Just so people know, Dukovani was a village that was then completely destroyed when they decided to build a nuclear power plant on top of it. That's right. Uh, the Vranov case is, in my opinion, by far the most interesting Czech UFO case. And although it, it happened in 1987, one interesting thing about UFOs in Czechoslovakia, as it was, was how little was actually reported between 1947, when the communists came to power, and in 1989, when, of course, the Velvet Revolution happened. The communist regime didn't like anything that didn't fit into kind of Marxist-Leninist ideology. That included the the church, but it also included things like UFO sightings, which uh, couldn't easily be explained and and didn't fit into their worldview. And so after 1989, there was kind of an explosion of UFO interest and cases being reported. And one of those was Vrenov Nadi, which had been basically secret from 1987 up until the 1990s when uh, reports about it came out. It's a very interesting case for ufologists because it's kind of the holy grail in that the UFO is sighted by people, but it's also picked up on radar. So you have 
these two points of contact. And it's also interesting because it was military personnel that a, a craft came across the Austrian border, which of course was part of the Iron Curtain in those days. Mm. And a helicopter crew was scrambled from uh, Bozitsa, which is a, was a military base um, near Vranov. The helicopter crew pursued this radar trace into the clouds. For a long time, they weren't able to see it. And this was a, a sunny day, but there was quite a lot of cloud at the altitude that they were flying at. They were informed by the control tower that the craft was approaching them, but still couldn't see it. And it got closer and closer until eventually they, they did see a kind of classic cigar-shaped craft with no windows, kind of shiny metallic craft. They were given orders to shoot it down, but Vranov, I've actually been to Vranov on holiday. It's an artificial lake created by damming the Deer River, mm. and it's kind of like as near as the Czech Republic gets to a, a seaside resort because it's got mm. this long lakeside area, and so there were lots of people swimming in the lake and sunbathing by the lake at the time, and the, the crew of the helicopter were obviously afraid that if they shot this thing down that it would injure people below. So they pursued this craft through the clouds and eventually they had to go and refuel and by the time they refueled it had got away, it kind of headed north to Brno, the second city of the Czech Republic, and then over to Bratislava, which is now the capital of Slovakia but was part of Czechoslovakia, and then kind of looped back round and it seemed to cross the Austrian border again. So it's like it's just on a, on a tour. <laughs> maybe, maybe. <laughs> the classic UFO conspiracy part is that when the crew returned to base, they were told to destroy all their records about this incident and not to speak to anybody about it. Mm. And so they did that until the 1990s when I think a book appeared in which there was an account from the captain of, of the crew. Who, had he been an eyewitness? Yeah, oh. he was an eyewitness. He was, uh, I think, Chesmia Tesajik was the captain. It was a three-man crew, Captain Chesmia Tesajik, uh, flying officer Ivan Pospikal, and flying officer Milan Shero. Tesajik, I think, gave an interview and it appeared in a book and then there were follow-up TV interviews and it became quite a big deal, certainly a, a much bigger deal than, than there had been under communism. That's, that remains a kind of the classic Czech UFO case. It kind of got a bit of everything. It's got the, the military conspiracy, it's got the radar detection, it's got mm -hmm. sightings by credible witnesses and it's, it remains unexplained to this day what, mm -hmm. what they actually saw. Because, you know, the communists, certainly in the Soviet Union, but also here in, in other places in the Warsaw Pact nations uh, during the Cold War, they actually did no-nonsense scientific-style research into things that we might consider fringe. Uh, telekinesis, pyrokinesis, the ability to communicate over long distances. Uh, there are reports that they tried to do teleportation experiments and things like this. So it's interesting that they seem to think, well, that, that stuff seems like it might uh, have something that's worth studying. But UFOs, no, forget that. It seems kind of strange that that's where they drew the line. Yeah, I think maybe there's a case of things happening behind closed doors that they can control are acceptable, but things that are out in the wild that might get people overexcited uh, need to be clamped down upon. I think that mm. was very much the, the communist attitude towards these things. And I think they were just generally opposed to any kind of groups or organizations that would be 
beyond their control. So it wasn't, for instance, possible to set up something like Project Zaja uh, under communism because it was seen as a club and potentially a, a threat to, to the status quo. But it's interesting what you say about secret experiments because there are it's not very well substantiated reports, more, more rumors really, but that the Nazis were actually producing a kind of UFO-like uh, craft in mm. the Letnyani district in what's now Prague 9, that they were developing some some flying saucer type aeroplane that they could use in the Second World War. And it's even rumored that I think when the Americans accidentally bombed uh, on Valentine's Day in 1945, that the flying saucer had to be moved out of Prague because they were worried that it would be destroyed by the air raid. <laughs> so they, they had to funny? ship it out to the country somewhere. <laughs> I, th- I think they talked about it literally being on the back of a truck with like a tarpaulin thrown over it. <laughs> oh, that's that's a lovely image. Just so just so uh, listeners know, uh, the Allies accidentally bombed Prague because they thought it was Dresden. So that was one of those one of those. Oops. Well, that's also I think in my that's also a problem I have with grand conspiracy theories is that in my time working as a journalist, I had dealings with large organizations of various kinds. I never came across a, a big organization organization that would be able to pull the wool over the eyes of the world with its its amazing conspiracy. So the the modern UFO phenomenon begins, as you know, in 1947 with with Kenneth Arnold's flying saucer sightings in Washington State in the US. Mm -hmm. But for centuries before that, there have obviously been um, sightings of strange lights and strange shapes in the sky. And that certainly was the case in the Czech lands, where there are many historical chronicles that report these things. I think the earliest uh, sighting is 1130, when spherical objects were seen over Prague and several other Czech towns. There's an account also from the same year of a a flying serpent in the sky over Bohemia. One of the weirder ones, it was actually chronicled by Jan Frantisek Bekovsky, who was a priest, but also a historian. And it's the incident itself is said to have taken place in June 1571 in the area, which is now Karlova Namjesti in the the new town of Prague. But it's Ah. a very, Bekovsky's account, I think is like maybe a hundred years later, but it's a very strange story that involves people in the night being woken by this huge noise and there was a huge wind blowing through the new town and then just massive amounts of noise and they came across soldiers on horseback leading oxen pulling a a wheelless chariot of some kind. Some theories claim that it might have been a tank that had come out somehow slipped through a a, a hole in time or something like that. But this this weird procession carried on to a, a church that's no longer there in the new town. And then they, they apparently the, the soldiers were burning boxes full of gunpowder or something like that. And there was a huge, a huge amount of fire. And then there was a flaming ring that appeared in the sky for, for hours afterwards, after all this had gone away. Wow. But I'm, I'm trying to, at the moment, I'm trying to figure out what contemporary accounts of this there are. Most of the accounts that I've come across so far were written sometime afterwards. And so mm. without some kind of contemporary confirmation, it, it seems like it might might just be a, a, a kind of early version of an urban myth or something like that. Right. But, you know, again, the thing that always astonishes me, even about these old tales, like you're saying, 16th century and even earlier, like that's an awful lot of detail. 
It is a lot of detail. That's the thing that's so appealing about the book. The flaming ring in Newtown accounts is it's just so it's just so bizarre, and it's it is very detailed. There's a lot of a lot of information there. Why would somebody go to the trouble of inventing it if it could so easily be refuted? It's so weird, and it's so detailed that uh, you think oh, but there must have been something to it. And there's, it goes on. There's, there's things that 1619, a flying water wheel, uh, 1623, large rotating spheres seen over Prague, 1684 in Yakimov, which was then a German speaking town. Mm-hmm. Uh, they saw a, a large pipe moving slowly towards uh, the town of Gottesgab, which uh, literally means God's gift. It's now called Bojidar, which is the Czech mm-hmm. phrase for God's gift, but uh, again, kind of bizarre, possibly meteorological phenomenon, but but still, still very strange. Sure, I mean, clearly these were superstitious times. I mean, you know, angels were considered to be actual beings and, and things like this, and, you know, monsters and werewolves and vampires and all the rest, so... So this stuff wouldn't have been that out of place in that kind of a cultural context. But then you also leap forward to 1874 and Wojciech Szafarzyk, who is like the Czech astronomer historically, reports seeing a, a dazzling white object crossing the moon. And so mm. it's not just superstitious people who are seeing these things. There are strange things being seen by, by scientific people. And then I know that there was there was some kind of event in Slatini in 1938. Now, this is an interesting one because it's 1938, so it's quite a few years before the, the Kenneth Arnold sighting. It's mm. a, a nine-year-old elementary school boy seeing a glow in the sky and then a red ball from the uh, Slatini Milicevs area, which I think is North Bohemia. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's just northwest of Hradec Kralova. Just a, just a little bit south of Yitzin. Uh, I picked up a strange book uh, about UFO sightings behind the Iron Curtain that I think is written by two Romanian journalists. And uh, there is a section on Czechoslovakia, but it's it's quite thin. Uh, there, there were sightings. There were occasional sightings even appeared in the newspapers. But there's not a huge amount of information about UFOs during that time. I think the, the incident that shows the communist uh, attitude towards paranormal and, and supernatural phenomena is the Chihost miracle, an alleged miracle that took place in a, in a village. Uh, during a church service, the members of the congregation saw an iron cross moving in the church and mm. priest uh, was told about this event. Uh, he said he hadn't actually seen it himself. He, he recorded the, the testimony of the witnesses and then he, he was uh, taken away by the the secret police for questioning and actually tortured to the point where he recanted and said that he'd, he'd made the whole thing up and he'd uh, he'd created some device that had made that made the cross move and then and then later died and so this was 1949 just a couple of years after the communists came to power mm. and so I think that probably sent a signal to people about <laughs> reporting things that were out of the ordinary. <laughs> In 1990, I think in the summer of 1990, near Uherska Hradiscia, which is uh, near Zlin, uh, off to the east near the Slovak border, there were some sightings as well in Ostroska Nova Ves. This is one of my favorite ones. The main account comes from two children who I think woke up very early one morning and saw basically a, a small metallic ball fly in th- through their window and into their room. Uh, it was, oh, really? a, I, think, I think, a boy and his, his younger sister 
sister. And the strangest thing about it for me is that the ball illuminated the house with an orange light, but also the boy saw like a tiny face inside a window in this ball. His sister didn't see this, but they saw the ball come in and then it kind of uh, sucked in the air and then blew all the air out again. It was like sucking in leaves and then blew out all the extraneous air. It's, it's a very strange case. It's, it's, it's a, That's the thing. I mean, on the other hand, they if they are aliens, one would expect them to behave in an alien fashion. That is true. You wouldn't necessarily be able to logically explain their behavior. And then, so then the next year, actually all through 1991, about 70 kilometers south of Prague near Tabor, there were a whole bunch of sightings near Milicin. Uh, Milicin is probably the second uh, most interesting case, in my opinion, after the Vranovna D sighting. This is basically a series of encounters with there's giant balls of light, there's unearthly figures, and even some reports of, of dog-like creatures in, in the area. And this is a village, it's basically 70 kilometers south of Prague. It's between central Bohemia and south Bohemia. It's a hilly area nicknamed Czech Siberia because it's its winters are, are harsher than the surrounding area, but it's also a popular area for where people from Prague own country cottages. And so a, a young woman from Prague, I think she was a, a maternity nurse, was out with her cousin and her cousin's friend walking the dog on a July night. And they saw a huge ball of light in the sky, kind of on the opposite side of the village from where the moon should be. And so they were frightened and headed back and the light followed them. And at one point, the nurse's cousin turned and looked at the ball and seemed apparently unable to move. Uh, they, they got back to the village and told some locals what had happened and the locals dismissed the stories as being the kind of ramblings of drunken Pragas. But then the ball approached the village and a local boy was kind of similarly transfixed by the light and said that he was he had weak energy beams fired at him. Mm. And that, that's one sighting which in itself is, is strange. But as, there was also another sighting from another cottage owner also from Prague in the same month who saw a, a light so bright that she could see the individual strawberry seedlings in her garden and then oh. the following December she returned to a country cottage in, in the snow and says that she found some some strange footprints between 12 and 21 centimeters in length including four seven centimeter fingers or claws <laughs> she couldn't really explain hmm. and then there's a third account which is a bit less credible where a, a woman wrote to Project Saja describing the stories that she'd heard so these are this is kind of a second-hand account where she'd heard stories from local villages of a, a large flying ball and then a, a three meter tall figure accompanied by a huge dog-like creature three and meters so, that's like that's like 10 feet yeah yeah it's, it's a giant it's huge basically. Yeah. but the investigation didn't really go anywhere despite all these witnesses they went down the project Yaja, zaja to investigate this but the locals didn't really want to speak about it a lot of them framed it in kind of religious terms and said it was a, a kind of religious experience and didn't really want to discuss what they'd seen, that case remains unsolved. Occasionally you get kind of news like, oh, new witness comes forward and, and this kind of thing, but it case doesn't really seem to go go very far. I think that's the case with a lot of these. Uh, I mean, Czechs are rather famously skeptical people uh, anyway, and then they're also quite 
private. Uh, they like to share things with their friends and family, but strangers like, eh, you know, who are you? Why should I tell you what my favorite color is? You know, things like this. So I can imagine if something like this would occur, they think something like this occurred, that they would, of course, clam up. And they don't want to look foolish. Yeah, I think that's the probably the biggest obstacle to investigating UFO sightings in the Czech Republic is that historically, certainly under communism, Czechs kind of live their lives behind closed doors and they don't want to stand out from the crowd. They don't want to look stupid. There was there were good reasons for that in the past. Mm. And so why would you open yourself up to ridicule like that? I can, yeah. I can understand it. I know a fast-moving object was reported by the Army back on May 5th, 1992, kind of flying from the German border past Karlovy Vary and Mariansky Lasnia. They tracked it, and then it vanished. I think there were also accounts of this one from the from the German side of the border as well. I think there ah. was a, a German couple saw this light in the sky on the, the German side of the border in the Shumovo, which is, of course, the big national park along the western border of the, of the Czech Republic next to Germany. So that's a very interesting one, again, because it's got multiple witnesses, and it's also very difficult to convincingly explain. I just can't figure, I mean, if they, they were just checking out some of the spa towns. <laughs> that's, that's possible. Oh, look at that. Nice. Oh, it is nice. Yeah. I'm going to pick up some spa wafers, I think. Right, exactly. The water's nasty, though. Don't drink it. <laughs> I came across a report not long ago that in August of 1993, there were UFO sightings all over the country, which I was here, but I don't remember hearing anything about. Yeah, I think in August 1993, I think specifically the the 21st and 22nd, there was just a, an explosion of UFO sightings in Bohemia and Moravia. I think the technical term for this is is a flap. There's a, a, a flap of UFOs, just a kind of wealth of them, mainly cigar-shaped objects. On August 21st, Mr. Sh was walking with his dog on the minor road between the villages of Teletsi and Borova in the Svitavi district, which is now part of the Pardubice region to the east of Prague and about 20 meters ahead he saw basically something s similar in shape to a flatfish without a tail that was mm. around 70 centimeters long and 40 to 50 centimeters high and him and his dog stopped and watched this for a while he said at first I thought it was some joke played by the village children that it was the remains of some inflatable animal and that as we approached they would pull the string and the object would disappear into the nearest bush but the dog didn't want to go any closer and started barking and now he could see that the object was painted in bright colors, green, yellow, brown, and red in a, in a strange spiral pattern. The object was rocking slightly, swaying in the breeze. And then after looking at it for a while, the thing eventually flew away. And you could see that the, obvious, the object wasn't flat, but it was, it was no thicker than five centimeters with two silver wires protruding from it, uh, like drooping mustaches, he said, <laughs> which, which is a, a phrase I like a lot. Yeah, that's and then nice. the, the object flew away. Now, is this guy thinking that it was a a weird craft or that it was a creature? Uh, a craft, I think, but very small. Not not your classic UFO in this case. It was uh, like a small, he, he basically thought it was a, a type of balloon or inflatable animal at, at first. Mm -hmm. So it's roughly that size, but kind of hanging in the road in front of him as he was walking his dog. 
He said it was only later that he realized how strange his behavior had been. He said that uh, rather than being frightened, he'd had a totally indefinable feeling of peace that did not allow him to do anything but watch. And Hmm. for the whole of the sighting, which he estimated to be five or six minutes, the countryside was calm and there there was silence. And he said that he regretted not going to touch this thing, that it was only 20 steps away, but for some reason he he didn't feel the need to go any closer to it. It's a a strange case. uh, It reminds me of the case that that got me interested in UFOs in the first place, which is from Todmorden in Yorkshire, which is a town near where I was born. And there's the case of a policeman who was kind of mesmerized by a UFO. And this is a, a very similar one. I think if you were trying to apply some scientific explanation, you would have to look at some kind of mental explanation for for what had happened, that there was some kind of psychological effect here, perhaps. Right. So we got really tiny ones. We got that one. We got the kids who said there was a ball, what, you know, just a a small ball you could hold in your hand that uh, had tiny little eyes inside of it, like a tiny little person. And then we have a big 10 foot tall guy in another part of the country. So we're, we're getting the whole range of visitors. We're getting quite a cast of characters. It's true. (laughs) Yeah, it's true. What about the silver men or the silver fish? Uh, I think probably it would be translated as, as silver men. It's mm. Stibernetsi. It's an mm. interesting phenomenon. Some people say that the Czech Republic doesn't have any unique UFO phenomenon, but uh, it could be argued that, that this is one. It's arguable, actually, whether it really is related to UFOs or it's just a, a, a phenomenon of some other kind. But it's basically people waking in the middle of the night to see silver figures, like humanoid silver figures, roughly two meters tall, so the, the size of a tall person uh, with no face, no facial features. People wake up in the night and see these luminous, semi-transparent silver figures in, in their bedrooms, which obviously would be an alarming thing to see. Yeah, really? And, they, and the, the UFO website Project Zaja lists about 30 of these cases. The obvious explanation is it's some kind of sleep paralysis, that it's uh, it's very right. similar to the historical accounts of, of night tags and mers that used to terrify sleepers in traditional stories. But the one thing that the thing that's interesting about them is the uniformity again of it, that these accounts are all extremely similar and there was a flood of them in the 1990s and then they, they basically dried up. There, there haven't been many, many accounts since then, but they're all very similar. And so if it was a form of sleep paralysis, why are people reporting seeing the same thing and why did it stop? You know, these, the description of these creatures reminds me, of course, of Gort in The Day the Earth Stood Still. That's actually, yes, that's that's very close to how I would picture it as well, but I hadn't made the connection. That's certainly the image that I have in my mind of a completely silver being like that. Yeah, like a robot or an android or something. Or a, a, a futuristic spaceman of some kind. We get a lot of these reports in the 90s, but they they continue on even past that. I know that in the summer of 2000, a crop circle showed up in the village of Blata, which is near Novahradi in the Česka Budjevica district. I know a lot of people think that crop circles are somehow associated with UFOs, uh, but a lot of other people think that they are something completely different. It's a completely different phenomenon. 
Actually, there are fairly regular appearances of crop circles in the Czech Republic. I think ah. even as recently as uh, the summer before last, I think there were they do appear in the in the tabloid papers from time to time. Mm. But um, usually, fairly amateurish-looking ones. I think if you were being charitable, you would say that these were the work of less talented uh, aliens than the than the <laughs> ones that you find in in, in yes. other parts of the world. <laughs> slightly, slightly drunk on Slivovi. Possibly, yeah. <laughs> but they, they do appear from time to time. Some people do link them to UFOs. It's again, it's it's uh, it's open to speculation. My explanation leans towards men with planks of wood attached to their feet. But some of them are of such complexity that it would be extremely difficult to create them in, in that way. Uh, and then in 2005, I think several times there were these. Uh, again, it's interesting that the Czechs are reporting a lot of these cigar-shaped ones because that's an old image in uh, UFO reports. Uh, sometime in the late 40s and early 50s, they transform from these cigar shapes to discs, flying saucers. But the Czechs, even in 2005, are still reporting cigar-shaped UFOs, which people sort of nicknamed Fidel's cigars, which is kind of funny. And this happened all through like the last half of 2005. There's one in July, uh, July the 6th, 2005 in Prakatice, which is in southern Bohemia to the south of Prague, mm. where a, a, a cigar-shaped object was, was seen by a glider pilot. And then in December 2005, in Pisek, also in South Bohemia, there was sighting of three objects, two of which were cigar-shaped, flying over the town. And then a photo of, a, of an aeroplane, which uh, also picked up three elongated objects flying in the background in October in uh, Tinad Vultavo, which I think is, also, again, South Bohemia. And the thing that's interesting about these is the, the descriptions of the objects are not very different from the, the sighting in Vrenov Nadi in 1987. That was was also like a, a metallic cigar-shaped object, basically. And there's a very similar account to the Vrenov Nadi account from Poland from around the same time, which I think, again, involves a cigar-shaped object. So there's kind of a, a trend there of people seeing basically aeroplanes with no wings in the sky, which mm -hmm. is, is very unusual. Yeah, and again, this is this is not a culture where it's very common for people to want to be noticed or singled out. So the motivation that, oh, they're just lying because they want to become famous is less credible here because generally, again, we're generalizing, but generally Czechs don't really like that. I mean, this is a country where an insult is to say publicly to someone, are you normal? And that person, <laughs> that person will get ship shape real fast because that is a shocking thing to suggest is that someone is not normal. In all the research I've done, all the reading I've done about UFOs, I've I can't remember coming across anybody who used a UFO sighting to, to gain celebrity in some ways. It's always been a case where the people have been quite reluctant to come forward. Very few people give their full name. and Certainly nobody is dining out on the UFO stories as far as I know. Well, there might be one exception 
to that idea that no one's really uh, leveraging their UFO stories for uh, fame or power or influence. And that is, of course, Evo Benda, who started uh, what's known as a UFO religion here in the Czech Republic and in Slovakia called the Universe People or the Cosmic People of Light Powers. Okay. Uh, the Vesmirni Lidi or the, the Universe People is certainly the most colorful aspect of UFOs in the Czech Republic. It's a, a, a cult set up in the 1990s by this guy, Evo Benda. They're basically harmless, although their ideas might seem a little strange. Bender's big idea is that extraterrestrial civilizations uh, are watching us and helping us, and that at some point they will reveal themselves to us. The view of the UFO phenomenon is quite utopian. Uh, the one thing that's quite interesting about them is that the conspiracy theories about uh, forces of evil chipping the population, uh, which is an idea which seemed pretty kooky in the 1990s, but is is kind of edging closer and closer to the mainstream, it seems, these days. Well, the, the most notable thing about the universe people is they have a, a kind of unique aesthetic, their, their, their website and the flyers. And I used to see a lot of stickers promoting the cause uh, in Prague on lampposts and things like that. But they have a, an extremely bright and colorful uh, style of, of illustration that goes with them. If you mm. get a chance to check out the website, I, I highly recommend it. It's a, it's a very interesting browse. <laughs> That's mm-hmm. all I'll say. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, he, in 1997, he wrote this uh, book with this wonderful title, which basically translates as Interviews with Instructions from My Friends from the Universe, which is just great. It's just, it's just a lovely, lovely title. Like, they're friends. I like that. I think Benda thinks that there are a bunch of different alien civilizations, but there's one main sort of uh, group or fleet of spaceships run by Ashtar Galactic Command which is kind of the the overseers of the loose affiliation of alien civilizations in our galaxy. And it's interesting that that same term, Ashtar Galactic Command, was used in a television broadcast that happened in the south of England in December of 1977, which is actually talked about in another episode of Conspiracy Clearinghouse. Check the episode notes for links to that. Uh, But in short, basically, right when the 5 o'clock news summary came up, some Somebody hijacked the signal and this five-minute speech with this electronically altered voice that had a slight British accent, <laughs> you know, so <laughs> you know, clearly, clearly it's a hoax, you know, but it starts off saying, this is the voice of Vrilan, a representative of the Ashtar Galactic Command speaking to you. And I have to wonder... I mean, it's 20 years before and the wall had come down in 1989. So by the time 97 comes around, Czechs have certainly had access to um, information from the West, even rather obscure stuff. So it's possible that he came across that term, Ashtar Galactic Command. Or did he? <laughs> or is there is there an Ashtar Galactic Command? I remember reading about the, the, the TV broadcast. I think I read an article in the, the British magazine Fortean Times about it. It's an impressive feat of technology to hack the TV news in that way. Yeah, they've they've never figured it out. Yeah, that, that's that's pretty it's pretty impressive. But I, I didn't know the connection actually between that incident and this one and, and this movement. That that is very interesting. So this is certainly one of those you know, it's it's very much the new age movement version of the UFO community. There's very much that they are ascended beings with high spiritual vibrations and, you know, Jesus was one of them and all of this kind of a thing. But you'll find this term Ashtar Command showing up periodically.
basically throughout all of this esoteric follow the ascended masters kind of uh, new agey ufo stuff i'm actually on wikipedia and it says uh ufo contactee george van tassel uh, received the first ashtar message in 1952 there you go so they've been hanging around for a while mm-hmm So you have been uh, working with Peter Coleman, who actually I interviewed on Prague Times uh, back in December for Christmas stuff. Yeah, we're we're working on a, a book. It's a long-term project, but it's we're we're working on a, a book about strange phenomena, uh, the unexplained just spooky stuff generally in the Czech Republic mm. and then it's taken a long time to come together we're both very busy Pete particularly well this stuff's not exactly super well documented either I mean it's it's sometimes hard to track down sources it's true it's uh, there's very little in English and it's very difficult to find reliable information of, en- of any sort as well so uh, at, at the moment I'm focusing on the the UFO chapter and and looking at maybe releasing that as a as a Kindle single or, or something mm. similar by the end of of the year to kind of promote interest in in the book generally you got a you got a you got a title the ufo chapter would be something very dry i'm afraid probably like a an introduction to check ufology or something like that and then with the the main book we're kind of batting around various ideas spooky book was, was one of the ideas spooky but then we're, book, that's great. we're kind of just coming up with stuff that's uh, just random things basically you're like hey let's do a czech focused charles fort kind of a book yeah exactly fortiana generally i think it would we would include obviously like ghosts ufos kind of strange things that went on under communism strange things that went on under the nazis just as broad a range as possible uh, the werewolves vampires uh, the, mm. the whole the whole nine yards well god knows we have enough history here and uh and of course uh, there are two episodes of prague times that are all about ghost stories of prague and that's just prague and that's just some of them prague is supposedly the most haunted city in europe so there's an awful lot to talk about you got an inexhaustible supply of weird stories here it is a it is a pretty weird place and and, and i say that affectionately <laughs> <laughs> So UFOs, they're not just for the United States. Even people that don't speak English as their first language can see them, sometimes reporting them with astonishing consistency. And despite the fact that for a long period of time, the authorities didn't even want them to say anything at all. UFOs have been reported in the Czech Republic for centuries and will probably be reported for at least decades to come. Well, I'd like to thank my guest, Sam Beckwith, who is editor of Prague Pig, Czech news blog. Thank you for talking to me today, Sam. Thanks for having me, Derek. It's always a pleasure to talk about strange things. Yeah, yeah. And, and there's a lot of strange stuff here in the Czech lands and in Central Europe. Uh, don't forget to check the episode notes for links to all of the different things that we've been talking about. You can also check the video version of this on our YouTube channel for some images of some of the things we've talked about as well. Thanks again, Sam, and thanks, everybody, for listening. Thank you for visiting The Conspiracy Clearinghouse. We're closing now, but we'll open another crate in the next episode. Until then, thank you for listening.